As we continue Sermon on the Mount series, today we uh, come to Matthew 6, 25 to 34. We will be able to see the connection of what's been going on and our church's posture and attitude and our obedience to it. And somehow uh, God orchestrated this. And then one of the applications is actually what to do with the current uh, situation of our nation. But let's think about worry. Before we think about worry, actually, the quick overview and recap is that so far, the theme of uh, Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' radical call. Radical call us to be different. And not only from the secular, unbelieving world, but also from the religious people who are only on the clean on the outside. So in the both way. So far we took a look at five sections of Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus calls us to be radically different in relation to character, begins with heart in relation to the world, in relation to the moral righteousness, in relations to spiritual practices or religious righteousness. And last week, uh, we meditate on Jesus' call to be radically different in relation to money and possessions. In verse 25, is actually a continuation of the same thought. Remember, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon together. So you are to choose. The first application is about, therefore, what are you, what are you worried about? What are you obsessed about? So today, our topic is in, in, in the big umbrella it is Jesus' call, radical call, for us to be counterculturally different in relation to our preoccupation or obsession and worry. There's some introductory thoughts as we begin the whole text together. And there are three observations about worry what, from what Jesus is teaching. The first one is worry is unnecessary. Be- beginning with verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, you will, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So here, what Jesus is teaching is uh, using the, this argumentative uh, form. Uh, in Latin, it's, it's called a fortiorti, really. So, you know, when you, when you look at the music thing, it's like a forte, right? Stronger, all the more, and to the lesser connections. So it goes like this. First, look at your life. Who gave it to you? God gave it to you. Isn't God, is, is life, isn't more, stronger, bigger than food? God gave you life, therefore, the lesser thing, God will continue to provide food for you. Look at your body. Isn't that greater value than clothing? God gave you the body. So, therefore, God will provide clothing as well. And there are two aspects of this. God as a creator, he, he points to look at the birds 
in the air. And God provides them. And let's, let's be uh, very clear on this. Do not misread this as if birds just sit there and then open their mouth and then <laughs> the food comes to their mouth. I mean, birds are the busiest and active creature, aren't they? But God provides. The point is, God takes care of them. And another stronger to lesser, greater to lesser is, aren't you more valuable in God's eyes than birds? Uh, after all, you are created in God's image. And God cares for you. If God cares for the birds in the sky, would he not all the more provide for you? And then the two levels that I said is actually not only as a creator. Remember just a few verses ago, our father who are in, who are in heaven. Our Father, our dearest Father, Abba, Father. So when you look at this, the first thing that comes to our mind is, um, I'm not trying to, to be worried, but I become, I'm a habitually, temperamentally warrior. So some of us really say that. So when Jesus is teaching through that, he will actually uh, come to the strongest point at the end. But think, think about this. What is the essence of worrying when it comes to in the Christian life? What is terribly wrong about the worry? And he begins with this unnecessary. It's really unnecessary, but he builds up this way. Secondly, worry is useless. Verse 27 to 29. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So another stronger to lesser. If God clothes li lilies, will he not all the more do the same thing for you? And then he begins with that idea of you can't Add one single hour to spend of his, your life. You can't add or change anything by worrying, which is useless. And even the statistics tells us 40% of our worries, things that we worry about, is with things that will never happen. 30% is things about the past that can't be changed. 12% is things about criticism by others. Mostly untrue. 10% is about health. So when you worry about health, because of stress, your health gets actually worsened by that. The only 8% is about real, legitimate problems that will be fa faced. So even the 8% of a true reality of our things that concern us. It's useless because we can't change anything and do anything by worrying. So worry is useless. It's a waste of time. In other words, energy. But thirdly, and more importantly, worry is a failure to trust God at its very core being. Verse 30, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, 
which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the, the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? He comes out to point worry as faith problem. Have you ever thought about that? George Mueller, very simple uh, thought, very poignant, some golden wisdom for us to remember. The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the, the beginning of the true faith is the end of anxiety. So in, in a sense, when we rationalize worry as our personality temperament, or so I can't help it because it's some burden that I carry, or even Christians will call it a cross, my cross to carry. No worry, in a simple sense, is a sin. Worrying is sinful. Why is it sinful? Because it shows our lack of faith. When we begin to worry, we fail to realize that the most important thing that God requires us between our relationship with Him as His children is faith. Hebrews 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And some of you probably experienced the same thing. When I was single, I didn't understand this fully. But now that I'm a father to four boys, this became apparently more true to me. Just imagine that. Your son or your daughter is worrying about something. What are you to worry about? What's wrong, honey? Tell me. I don't know what to eat tonight. Maybe I may have to go to the street and stand with that person on the freeway exit, handing out. You're ridiculous, right? You're joking about this, right? So, of course, our, our sons and daughters will never do that. But when they worry about in such a way that, Dad, well-meaning son, our son, maybe I taught him some scarce mentality or something. Dad, I, I don't want to go to private school because it costs too much. Well, once you get in first, I, my idea is that we will worry about how much we, we, we need to pay for that tuition. Oh, I'll go to UCLA because mom went there. And you know. I want you to not worry about it because I care about you. Will you trust me? Okay, another more blatant example. Those of you who have younger ones. You know, I come, come home and I still do this tradition. As soon as I open the door, I, I just kind of top of my lung, I scream, Daddy's home! Who's going to kiss me first? And then our kids used to run toward me and hug me, right? Except Kate. But um, <laughs> So you came and your three-year-old kid, just adorable kid, come here, come to Daddy, come to Mommy. So, mm -mm, how do I know you will not throw me into the glass. How do I know, you know, how do I know? Just think about that. Whatever that, whatever that is you are thinking that child is thinking, but arms crossed, mm -mm. I will not trust you. It will break your heart. So every day we call God our Heavenly Father, and He wants us to provide for us. He wants to carry us in our concerns. 
and even difficult times. So we think that, especially for, for those of us learn to be independent and self-sufficient in all things, I could take care of myself. Then you are in still control. You are playing God. See, what Jesus is going after in this passage, in the, in the context, he basically presents two options. Serving mammon as our God, the materialistic uh, world, as if our physical world is it, or God who is our Heavenly Father. Whether we will be utterly dependent on the Heavenly Father or utterly dependent on our own self-sufficiency and provision of materialistic things. Brothers and sisters, it hurts God's heart when we worry because it shows distrust. And some of you probably are thinking, wait a minute, not all worries are bad, are they? You're right. Some worries are good. But Bible calls it more of a, you should think of it as more of a concern. 2 Corinthians 11:28, Paul was worried day and night for the church. Concern, the concern for the church. Obviously, we ought to do that for our brothers and sisters in our, in, our, in our men's and women's group or home group. When someone is really going through a tough time, we should be concerned about them. And their marriage and not doing well, we should pray for them and concern for them. And Song and Caroline had a just terrible loss of their baby. And some of us got together in their, uh, Caroline's parents' house. It was a wonderful time for us to feel the nearness of God together. Such a comforting and encouraging time. Not only to Sung and Caroline, but all of us. Yes, we should be concerned about that. But this, this passage is not talking about that, are they? This passage is a passage it, Jesus' teaching is addressing our own self-centered and self-absorbed worries and concerns. He's a joy killer, joy robber. So I want us to spend more time on application this on this passage rather than quick uh, thoughts about application. There are four, at least. Number one, we are to trust and acknowledge who God is to us in our lives. Verse 32, for the Gentiles, we should read it as, for the non-Christians seek after all these things. All these things what? What to eat and what to drink and what to wear. Basic necessity of, of life. Concern for your own self-security. But then yet your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So since worry is a faith issue, we need to begin with this relational trust. Realize that. And not only realize that, let's acknowledge that. God, whom we serve, is our Abba, Heavenly Father, who cares for us and who loves us and who desires to provide for us. That's the beginning point of freeing ourselves from worry. 
And as we do that, it is really the control issue. Am I building the kingdom of self my, where I rule and I decide, I control? Or when I, will I follow and submit to the kingdom of God? In order for the kingdom of God to be built, the kingdom of self must be undermined. When we insist the kingdom of self, the kingdom of God, God's reign, God's kingly rule would be undermined. So simply put, whether your personality type is very controlling, anal type, or whether you're a layback person, deliberate surrender of that grip of anxiety. Do not sit in the center of your life. Reserve that seat and surrender the seat to God. And follow Jesus' example of his daily posture. And this is very helpful for me. Because I, I sometimes go to a pastor's gathering. And uh, one pastor's gathering... Uh, few years ago at Talbot, uh, free lunch, come, enjoy our luncheon with Dallas Willard, who passed away now, but Dallas Willard is one of the authors that I respect and follow, so I went there. I was sitting on the uh, lunch table, enjoyed the lunch, and anxious to hear Dallas Willard's, I mean, my first time hearing him in person because he was speaking to the pastors I think he was deliberate in his question and let me begin with a question for all of you he said what comes to your mind one adjective comes to your mind when you think about Jesus in his lifestyle One, what's one adjective comes to your mind that best describes Jesus' lifestyle? If you, if you know me, and a lot of you use the word intense. I, I'm intense, right? Because I like passionate person. Passion, mission, vision, all these things are mine, right? So I automatically thought Jesus is passionate. Jesus is visionary. And then, I, I feel like, a, just like a, I was hit without getting ready. Uh, my air is going out. Huh! He said, relaxed. I was disturbed. Okay, relaxed is the lazy boy person and relaxed is the person who's indolent, lazy, and don't do anything, and not an initiator, but passive person, all that. A pathetic person. <laughs> Jesus is relaxed, oh my. But the more I think about it, as it comes back to me, he was explaining the nature of faith, trust. The more you trust in God's sovereign care, the more you release grips of your control. The more you do not worry. And Jesus was never worrying and never hurrying. I didn't believe it, so I went through it. And it is true. In the midst of crisis, he is relaxed. Let's follow Jesus' example. And pray for your pastor. I'm far from this, I confess. Because I, um, naturally, I like to, to know what's going to happen next. And when you really trust God, 
I really realize, even Apostle Paul's words, also, when he said, God's will in Christ Jesus for everyday life. Paul's God's will for you. You know what that is? First Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and give thanks in everything. That that picture of relaxed lifestyle is there. Strive harder and try to achieve things is actually a picture of self-sufficiency. And once again, that act, the passivity is not passively passive, but it's actively passive. We're continually proactive about trusting God, training ourselves to be godly. Yes. But it, when it comes to this worry, we need to learn this, the posture that Jesus never worried Number two, oh, in light of that, the one of my favorite passages, and some of you are probably the favorite passage also, too, uh, Proverbs five, 3, 5 to 7, trust in the Lord, with, lean not on your understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path straight. Uh, during my sabbatical disperse in Eugene Peterson's paraphrase came to me, and it became our my sabbatical verse. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. Run from evil. Number two, we, as we are applying uh, anxious free life, overcoming worry, we are to say no to anxious thoughts by faith. And Jesus is perfect man, but Jesus is also perfect God. So hence, you need to pay attention to this obvious point. In verse 25 to 34, he repeats three times, same thing. And I didn't bother to write every single time, but verbatim same, almost verbatim same. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what to eat and what to drink. Verse 31, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? In verse 40, 34, ending with, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. What's the message? Why is he repeating? Because he wants us not only hear it, but really live it. Stop worrying, Jesus is saying. Stop living as if this is inevitable pattern of your life. Say no when the evil one brings those anxious thoughts. Yes, for some people are more prone to those anxious thoughts. We have to say no, reject. Not by positive thinking, but by faith. My heavenly Father. Look at the lilies and the birds and trust that God cares for even more, all the more. And in so doing, we are to continually confess our trust in our Heavenly Father's care and love. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, in his uh, Sermon on the Mount book, writes this, that is faith, and it is particularly true with regard to the future. 
when the devil comes with his insinuations, injecting them into you, all the fiery darts of the evil one say, no, I am not interested. The God whom I am trusting today, I will trust for tomorrow. I refuse to listen. I will not think your thoughts. Faith is refusing to be burdened because we have cast our burden upon the Lord. May he, in his infinite grace, give us wisdom and grace to implement these simple principles and thereby rejoice in him day by day. So maybe even sometime this afternoon, when those anxious thoughts come to your mind, remember that. No, I will not entertain these thoughts. I refuse to listen. And then studying through this, I researched some things. And the mental health people will say, the people who more worry the most, anxious thoughts come at night, nine o'clock before go to sleep because of because of that, you know, uh, difficulty falling asleep. I don't have a difficulty falling asleep, but uh, my problem is I wake up usually two thirty, three o'clock, as if it's an alarm clock every every morning, and then three o'clock, the anxious thoughts come. And I can't go to sleep. Sometimes it takes me two hours to fall asleep. And by the time I, it's two hours past, it's time for me to get up usually. And the psalmist saying that to those whom God loves, he gives sleep. Do you think it's a, some kind of a selective favoritism? No. It's a complete surrender and trust in heavenly father's care so i know next time three o'clock all these negative thoughts and even the worries about good things so i should be worried about you as as a pastor right concerned about you but there is a fine line what is self-concern and concern for others i worried about you but if i Become set in, sit in the center. What happens is, I worry about the condition of my church, my success, my my status as a good pastor. This is absurd. I lose my patience. I lose my my health. I lose my joy because of all this. When that happens, I need to exactly do this. I refuse to listen. My God is in control. Number three. We are to replace our worry with prayer. And this is just marvelously comforting thing, especially for those of you and, and me in the middle of the night when those thoughts are relentless. It's like a wave coming back over and over. What can we do? We need to replace them with prayer. The three passages point to the same thing. Matthew six eleven, beginning of the Lord's Prayer, the first prayer for us, Concern, a petition for ourselves is give us this day our daily bread. First Peter 5, 7. Casting all your anxieties upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. This idea of a casting is a very uh, visual language. The casting net casting, throwing away any kind of trash, 
you cast it out that way. So the picture is, whenever we are heavy laden because of anxious thoughts, we are to throw them to the Lord. Cast all our anxieties upon Him. Why? Because He cares for us. In Apostle Paul's language this time, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Isn't this comforting? If we replace our anxious thoughts with supplication and prayer in, in thanksgiving, then this will happen. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So once again, the picture of uh, our relationship with Heavenly Father and our Abba Father, let's be childlike. Don't act like you are independent and self-sufficient. That's all ideas will, will be given. And lure will come because of the evil ones, a deceiver. Deceiver with the big letter D. Oh, God is too busy. And you know, this is too petty. Don't bother him. And don't share the prayer request. You know, you just... No, we need to become childlike. And to turn that into prayer. The idea of uh, tomorrow has its own concern. So to not carry tomorrow's burden today. Let's apply that. And somehow it became a property of a recovery group. Any recovery people will use this language one day at a time. Just focus on one day at a time. Well, actually, this is a Christian principle. All of us need to live one day at a time. Am I focusing on trusting God? Am I living a worry-free life today? One day at a time. So, once again, the, my example as a pastor, you have the very similar things. We could think about our kids' future. What will happen? I did, you know, some of you saw Soren's senior picture already. Kate's not ready. I'm not ready. Will he be able to drive? Will he be able to meet a person who could embrace him. And all those worries are there. Will he be able to marry? <coughs> the fine line is that when we put ourselves and sit on the center of seat, that worry will kill us, drain us. But if we yield to God who deserves that seat, We could rejoice in Him. And today, we could live today with fullness of joy. And I hinted in the beginning of my message, as we close, Jesus' strongest point is on this. Fourth and last remedy of how to overcome our worry is we are to seek God's rule and God's righteousness as our ultimate passion and priority in life. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I am redundant because in, even during... Uh, Sermon on the Mount series, I 
explained about this biblical concept of kingdom of God several times, but briefly let me repeat this part one more time. Kingdom is not necessarily land. Kingdom, in biblical sense, it's king's kingly rule, reign. So when you think about seeking kingdom of God, means God's kingly reign and rule on my life, on my neighbor, and my city, and my nation. Eventually, it is really embraces the the people who are living in the kingdom of God is those who are Christ followers, those who are saved by the grace of God through faith and faith alone in Christ, Christ alone. The strong sense of evangelism is there. The mission is important. But when you think about God's righteousness, it's a God's righteousness is a little bigger concept. Why? God's righteousness means that God's will is every sense God is righteous. God's will is righteous. And for us to seek, even in our society, our broken society, we are to seek God's righteousness, righteous will to be done. So that God's rule to be increased and God's righteous will to be done among us. I don't know about you, one of my favorite passages from the book of Isaiah, 58 verse 11. Let me introduce you. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places. And make your bones strong, and you shall be like a water garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Isn't that awesome? That picture, I love that. The NIV calls it a well-watered garden whose water never run dry. I want that to be my life picture. When God's kingdom comes, that is really peace and shalom coming. But we need to look at the whole passage always in the context, isn't it? We cannot just take that as if we're taking something out of the refrigerator and close the door. What's right before that? Verse 9, Then you shall call and the Lord will answer, and you shall cry and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke of your, from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and the speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desires of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as a noonday. So with that in mind, with that God, what God desires, the righteousness in our life, in our society. And then verse 11 continues, And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like water garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Listen, brothers and sisters, this is the picture that we as a Christians, we as the church lit to live out in this broken, teeming world. Not indifference, not in a little out bubble of evangelicalism, but seeking God's kingdom, God's rule, and God's righteousness in every direction. And we be the first one who take down the finger pointing and sharing wickedness and self-righteousness become full of what God desires, what will happen? The picture that comes to my mind is, I am humbled, I am abased, not because I think I lowly of myself, but because God is too big and too holy, too righteous, and I cannot compare myself with someone who is not little more, like morally not up to me, my standard, 
or someone who made a mistake, made a fall. Someone I do not like. You see the picture. When you think about this, making God's rule and righteousness our preeminent pursuit in, my, in our lives is actually cure. This is a cure to worry-filled life. Because God's passion comes to our lives. And then we begin to experience all these things will be added unto you. Because we trust that. I am proud of each one of you as a church that you respond to the missions giving. Our church, little church, small church raised in April um, 33,000 or more. Plus, 27 families. You calculate how much each, each family might have given. We saw God's kingdom and God's righteousness in that sense, at least. We responded. In the last month, you heard Ho's report. Last month is $10,000 surplus. And altogether, our bank account is still in surplus of $170,000. Why? I really believe verse 33 is being lived out here because of that. We ought to live that out in our individual lives as well. Not just the finance, in our priorities, in our seeking, in our what is the center of our family and marriage and our lives and our vocation life. We will experience God in that sense. So I close with this um, John Stutz quote. And a, and a hymn that came to my mind this morning. John says summary and points out to a clarity of Jesus' teaching here. Once again, he writes, Our Lord simplifies the issue for us by reducing the alternatives, possible life goals, to only two. He puts them over against each other in this section, urging his followers not to be preoccupied with their own security, food, drink, and clothing. For that is the obsession of the Gentiles who do not know him, but rather with God's rule and God's righteousness and with their spread and triumph in the world. So as we choose this, the life, passion, and priority in life, What, what comforting thought we have is, in this hymn, it just came to me, uh, it's called uh, I Must Tell Jesus. Alicia Hoffman wrote this uh, lyric in 1893. Some of you who grew up in church will hear the melody already. I must tell, I must tell Jesus all of my trials I cannot bear these burdens alone. In my distress, he kindly will help me. He ever cares and loves his own. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, I cannot bear these burdens alone. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, Jesus can help me, Jesus alone. I must tell Jesus all of my troubles, He's a kind and compassionate friend. If I ask him, he will deliver. Make of my troubles quickly an end. Tempted and tried, I need a great Savior, one who can help my burdens to bear. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus. He all my cares and sorrows 
will share. Let's make that our song this week and confess as those who call our God Abba, our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Abba, Father, we belong to you. I thank you that even in the midst of distress and worry-filled world, that we could look to you and pour out our hearts and cast out anxieties upon you. Teach us to be relaxed. Because of our faith in you. Teach us to say no to anxious thoughts. Because we do have a heavenly father who cares and loves us. Teach us to live one day at a time. Because it is really unwise to even think about carrying tomorrow's burden today. And more than anything, Lord, teach us to have your kingdom, your rule, and your righteousness, your will to be our ultimate priority and passion and life goal. And make us that type of people and that type of church and to be salt and light in this world. And may the Lord give you shalom and peace as you choose to live as God's people who seeks who seek God's rule and God's righteousness. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.